TED Audio Collective. I'm Elise Hugh. You're listening to TED Talks Daily. Physicists study so much of what we can see in the universe. Things like the seas, the stars, each other. But what about the stuff we can't see? The invisible matter. Theoretical physicist Chanda Prescott-Weinstein trains her questions on the mostly invisible universe. In her TED 2022 talk, she shares how we can better understand it. And in seeing it, how we can better understand our place in the universe. Support comes from Zuckerman Spader. Through nearly five decades of taking on high-stakes legal matters, Zuckerman Spader is recognized nationally as a premier litigation and investigations firm. Their lawyers routinely represent individuals, organizations, and law firms in business disputes, government, and internal investigations, and at trial, when the lawyer you choose matters most. Online at Zuckerman.com. Support for TED Talks Daily comes from Capital One Bank. With no fees or minimums, banking with Capital One is the easiest decision in the history of decisions. Even easier than deciding to listen to another episode of your favorite podcast. And with no overdraft fees, is it even a decision? That's banking reimagined. What's in your wallet? Terms apply. See CapitalOne.com slash bank. Capital One N.A. Member FDIC. Support for TED Talks Daily is from Progressive, home of the Name Your Price tool. You can say how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. It's easy to start a quote. Visit Progressive.com to get started. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. When we look at the night sky, we see a vast cosmos filled with stars and galaxies and dust, a cosmos teeming with luminous phenomena. So we've all heard some version of that famous Carl Sagan line, we are made of star stuff, and it's true, we are. And that makes it easy to believe that what matters is what's visible, us, the trees, the stars, because it helps us feel connected to everything that we can see. Today, we know that everything visible in the universe is composed from a basic set of building blocks known as elementary particles. Comprehending the standard model is an enormous achievement. But we are now certain that it describes very little of what's out there. It turns out that most of the stuff which fills our universe is completely invisible to us. In other words, visible matter, the kind we and the stars are made from, the kind that radiates light, is not what's normal. And we, the luminous matter, we are the cosmic weirdos. So how do we know? We can see that stars and galaxies are affected by the presence of something more, something completely invisible to us. So we now know that the universe is more queer and fantastical than it looks to the naked eye. That's right. So how did the universe get this way, and what exactly is inside? So I'm a theoretical physicist with expertise in particle cosmology. And it's my job to use math to study the origin and evolution of space-time and every single thing that's inside of it. I connect the very small, elementary particles with the extremely large galaxies and galaxy clusters, and I'm a griot of the universe. 
I developed creative mathematical narratives that may just be our cosmic origin story. Now, as a theoretical physicist, I really love doing math and coming up with different ideas that may describe our mostly invisible universe. But it's important to be accountable to data too, the real stuff. So after mathematics, my second favorite tool for addressing these large cosmological questions is the biggest laboratory we know, the universe itself. Observatories with capabilities from visible light to high-energy X-ray and gamma-ray photons are still some of the best ways to gain insight into what's going on in space-time with the invisible stuff. So when it comes to the cosmic accounting, here's what we know so far: we're in the midst of a great cosmic drama where space-time is curved and it's expanding. And the history and future of that curvature and expansion is determined by what's inside, which is mostly not visible stuff like us. That's only about five percent. The majority of the energy matter content in the universe is something that we call dark energy. So empty space seems to have an energy associated with it, and that's increasingly affecting how space-time expands. After dark energy. The second largest ingredient is something that we call dark matter. So here's the funky thing about dark matter: unlike dark energy, it gravitates exactly like visible matter, but it's completely unlike us in every other way. So you might be thinking, okay, dark matter. It clearly has a color associated with it. But the first thing that you should know about dark matter is that it doesn't have a color. And at least to first approximation, light seems to go right through it, so we can't see it. It's invisible, maybe transparent, maybe clear. So if you put out your hands and feel, think about the weight of having a clump of dark matter in your hands, that's how it would feel. But your hands would look exactly the same. Today, we believe that 80% of the normally gravitating matter in the universe is dark matter. Dark matter is dominant on the outskirts of galaxies, and it affects stellar motions on the edges.、And、this effect is actually how Verisi Rubin and Kent Ford first found the first substantive evidence for the existence of dark matter. We believe that every single galaxy, or almost every single galaxy, lives inside of a dark matter halo, and we think that they're not alone. The Milky Way itself has around 60. Gravitationally bound satellite galaxies that are in its orbit. Some of these you may have seen when observing the night sky, or you may have heard of, like the Large Magellanic Cloud and the Small Magellanic Cloud. Each of these satellites lives inside of its own dark matter subhalo. The presence of dark matter is affecting how galaxies are distributed throughout space-time. So we can also reverse engineer where dark matter is. We can look at how images of galaxy clusters are distorted, which tell us something about how dark matter is distorting space-time. So we know something about how much dark matter there is, and even how the dark matter is distributed. But what kind of particle is it? So all that we know is that it's beyond standard model physics. It's not like any of the particles that we have ever seen 
or had any kind of contact with. All right, so this seems like a potentially terrifying, intractable problem because we're talking about something that we can't see, something that we can't touch. You might be thinking, okay, they haven't had many ideas about that over the years because that just seems really hard, right? And hopefully it's becoming increasingly clear that this isn't just an astrophysics problem of galaxies and galaxy clusters, but this is also a particle physics problem. In order to understand what's happening on the largest scales, we need to understand something very small, like a new particle, or maybe primordial black holes. What's Chanda's favorite dark matter candidate, right? This is what you're dying to know. So I'll end the suspense by telling you that my favorite candidate is something called the axion. This is the hypothetical particle. And the first thing that I want to tell you about the axion is that it was almost called the higlet, And whoever chose Axion just completely blew it, okay? I'm pretty bummed about that. But the Axion is a compelling particle because it's a twofer. It addresses a problem that we already had, a conflict between theory and experiment in the realm of quark physics. <laughs> the universe is a wonderfully strange and fantastical place, and that's why humans as a species have always wanted to study it. And this is why we have so much fun trying to understand it. So how are we going to go looking for the axion or any other dark matter particle? Well, you might think that we have to use traditional particle physics approaches, like colliders, where we smash particles together and see what comes out. But astrophysical signals have something to say. Telescopes from across the electromagnetic spectrum, for example, the proposed NASA facility, the Strobex X-ray Space Telescope, can help us potentially determine what exactly dark matter is. But telescopes look at the very large. How can we use the extremely large to understand something so small? Well, in the case of the axion, it helps to pay attention to its quantum classification. So all particles come in one of two quantum categories, fermions and bosons. So fermions, even when things get cold, like to keep their distance from each other. They're antisocial. That's how it is. Bosons, on the other hand, when they get below a critical temperature, they're like five-year-olds on a soccer field. So they don't have a concept of formation. They all just bunch up together. So in technical terms, we call this the formation of a Bose-Einstein condensate, where all of the particles come together and act like one superparticle. So importantly, axions are bosons. And so now you have a sense of why I like working with them. I'm completely enamored with the idea of axion Bose-Einstein condensates. So usually we talk about creating these quantum states in the lab using atoms, but now we're talking about the possibility of maybe galaxy-scale Bose-Einstein condensates made out of dark matter. Over the age of the universe, the subhalo starts to get torn apart. And what my team's work shows is that the way that this happens with axions is different than with other dark matter candidates because it goes into the special condensate state. Now imagine the possibility that there's more than one type of dark matter candidate. Maybe there's more than one type of dark matter particle. How much richer this picture can be? There's no cosmic rule that says there can only be one. 
So in the end, I expect the universe to force us to reevaluate what we thought we knew. When we honor the land and the sky as our galactic relations and their indigenous stewards, it becomes possible for us to imagine new ways of being in good relations with each other. That's why I, as a black queer person, am so proud to follow in the footsteps of my ancestors who studied and dreamed with the night sky, sometimes of freedom. Astronomers like Harriet Tubman, for whom the recently launched James Webb Space Telescope should be renamed. I honor the gay NASA employees who were persecuted under the leadership of JWST's namesake, even as I share in the tremendous community-wide excitement for what that facility is going to teach us about dark matter. And I honor the memory of Vera C. Rubin, the astronomer who first asked me as a young, terrified graduate student, how do you think we should solve the dark matter problem? We live in an amazing time to be doing dark matter research. Over the next de decade, we're going to see the universe with incredible accuracy and clarity, thanks to these new telescopes on the ground and in the sky. We'll probably get some answers, but we're going to get a host of new questions. And my team, we're going to be ready. So the search for dark matter is on. What's your favorite candidate? If it's not an axion, you better fix that. <laughs> Thank you.